Good morning, everybody, and welcome. You are listening to Faith FM 87.6, 87.8, or 88, depending on where you are in this country we call Australia. You're listening to the delayed broadcast, which is a real shame because we had such a great show yesterday and you missed it, but you get to hear it today. But it's so much better when you hear it live. But of course, this is The Breakfast Show with uh, Faith FM and you're listening to Tuesday, the 1st of May's show, even though it is now Wednesday, the 2nd of May for you. And so then if we, if you think about it, we have just started into another month of autumn. The year is very rapidly ticking away, isn't it? But we've got a great program coming up for you today. Uh, lots of things that we have already talked about. We have a interview with a dentist, Glenn Hughes. Now, of course, the dentist is always that person that we like to avoid, but this is a dentist with a difference. And so Glenn Hughes, dentist with a difference, a dentist who is also a preacher. And so we're looking forward to uh, that interview that's coming up for you. We also have um, some interesting news stories. We're going to have uh, Darren Pratt talking to us about pedophilia. And if you want to know how to protect your children and to protect your church, then definitely stay tuned for that particular segment. And of course, Mon is going to be here, but Mon is only going to be here because she's going to call in because yesterday Mon wasn't here. Mon was somewhere down near Gundagai, which I think she did refer to as nowhere. So if you're from Gundagai, then if Mon says you're from nowhere, then you need to give us a call. Give her a call and you can give her a hard time on the live show. But if you'd like to listen to the live show, of course, you can do that. Um, you can do that by tuning into faithfm.com.au or by using the TuneIn app. Simply download it to your mobile device and then use that to run it through your phone, through your car stereo, through your Bluetooth, through your aux cord, through your headset, through your tape insert, whatever which way you want to listen to it, it is right there and available to you. And we encourage everybody to listen to the live show. And of course, you get so much of a better signal. Uh, Mon was out there in the middle of nowhere and in the middle of nowhere, she was getting a perfect signal for Faith FM 87.6, or 88, depending on which one she had tuned in for. Uh, and of course, when you go to the app, you simply get the free version and you will want to search for Faith FM Australia and make it one of your favorites. So along with those segments, we have an amazing Bible study coming up, which is all based around Brexit or the British exit from the European Union. We have some incredible songs that Marta has picked out for us. And of course, at the end of the show we're going to have a giveaway oh we had a prize as well for the quiz but you missed it because you were listening to the delayed broadcast anyway stay tuned we've got some more great programming right after this when peace like a river my way when sorrows like sea
You were listening to Audrey Sad. It is well with my soul here on Faith FM. And as we come back to the first of our new segments, we have a second clue for our quiz. And clue number two goes like this. It's a who am I? A cherubim was placed on the east side of this. It should be a what am I? Who am I? What am I? Yeah, okay. On the east side of this, a cherubim was placed. And so if you know the answer to the quiz or you'd like to have a crack at it, uh, give it a burl, 1-800-324-843, or text us on 0491 or you can simply uh, shoot it through to our Facebook page. And if you are the first one to call through, there is going to be a Hacksaw Ridge book coming your way. Um, so that's the hero of Hacksaw Ridge, the story of Desmond Doss, one of the greatest stories ever to come out of the Second World War and uh, recently made into a movie. However, in this morning, in today's news this morning, we have the story that just refuses to go away. And that, of course, is uh, uh, the Vatican's third most uh, senior uh, official um, after the Pope, of course, which is Cardinal George Pell, who finds out today whether he will stand trial on child sex abuse charges. Um, and implications in relationship to that. Now, I've got Darren Pratt on the phone with me today because I want to uh, just spend a little bit of time talking about this particular issue, lancing this boil, so to speak, and uh, you know, particularly looking at it in the context of, you know, this is obviously something that is affecting Christianity, and uh, and get Darren's perspective on it. Darren, welcome to the show. Yes, good morning. Happy to be here. Now, Darren, just give us a little bit of a background on uh, your involvement in children's ministries and therefore, you know, obviously your interest in these kinds of issues. Yes, um, I work in the area of children and families, so I'm in churches all the time. Um, The last six years I've spent time in training institutions in understanding abuse and how to protect their children and um, institutions from abuse. Um, also advocating for victims, a bit of case management. So, yes, yeah, six years have been an interesting eye-opener into um, what's happening in institutions. And I guess if you followed the... That would have given you a prime position to follow the Royal Commission very, very closely? Yes, I followed that through very closely, and um, it was heartbreaking um, to um, hear those stories, but also I think it's a great watershed moment for the church in general to draw a line in the sand and say enough is enough. It's time to stand up for our children and to protect our children and to help them to grow into healthy, God-loving Christians um, to avoid, um, I guess, abuse from happening to them in any form. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of the accusations that are going to court we, that we often hear about in relationship to uh, um, institutional um, child sex abuse and uh, particularly within uh, the context of churches, um, a lot of these cases go back a long way, and it almost you almost get this impression that you know back in the sixties and seventies, if somebody did the wrong thing, there was a certain level of pity for the offender, and they would get moved on in the hope that that would rectify the situation. Would that be a fair assumption? Do you think? Um, yes, um, the sixties and seventies. The reason why the sixties and seventies are only being talked about today is our biggest issue is it takes um, a child on average between 20 to 30 years, um, 7 to 14 years for girls and 22 years or more um, if 
at all for men. So that's why we're only hearing these stories now. Mm. Now, while the 60s and 70s, I guess um, we did move people on, hopefully those days are behind us because we are now mandatory reporters and we have to report um, when we suspect or believe that a child is at risk of significant harm. So hopefully those days are behind us. But still, as I said, because children are groomed and don't talk about it, um, it makes it hard to know if we are making a difference or not. Um, but, yes, hopefully we are. Yeah, absolutely. Now, often uh, within Christianity, I hear, and, and I don't know whether you hear this or not, but I hear uh, a certain level of sympathy for people who have um, committed an offence, they have served their time and so forth, and yet uh, they are still under um, you know, a, a protection agreement of some description or they're excluded from, from worship service and people and church members are saying, shouldn't we be showing grace, shouldn't we be showing forgiveness um, towards these people? How do you respond to that? My response is, um, so far um, in all of the research, there is no scientific evidence that a, a um, predator or a perpetrator can change their ways. Um, and so whilst God shows love and God shows grace and um, forgiveness, when it comes to protecting our children, the church can't. So they need to be under a safety agreement for their protection as well as for the protection of the church. Um we need to make sure that they are excluded from all child-related roles and um, we can love them, we can be there for them, we can support them, but we need to be wise in not allowing them access to our children again. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that you know, in, in our church in particular, um, you know, somebody who is convicted of something like this, you know, you know, in, in my church they would never be allowed to set foot in the church again, but that doesn't stop me from ministering to them in their home. And uh, you know, bringing God's grace to them so that they, you know, that's not cutting them off um, from salvation. Yes, and we can find churches, of course, where there are no children attending around. They can go there quite happily, and um, they can worship there. So there are ways to help them to worship God, but we need to be aware that they can't change their ways. That's the way that they're bent towards um, abusing children. So. We need to um, protect them. Okay, so when they so, for instance, if somebody goes to a church um, who has been convicted, would that church be notified that this person has a um, a child related conviction? Yes. Um, the, the key question is if they are convicted. Um, so far, I say we've caught the um, the bad pedophiles. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't caught the clever ones. They're still out there. Um, but yeah, if they do come to a church and they have a conviction, then there is definite steps put in place, unless in, in my denomination, um, there's um, protocols around where they can sit and where they can visit and people there to watch them and guide them and keep an eye on them. Um, so yeah, what we call a safety agreement, which helps to make sure that they can worship, but that there are protocols and guidelines around that. Now, would would it be um, you know the protocols within our denomination? Uh, would that be similar across all denominations these days? Yes, um, since the Royal Commission, which I think is a good thing, there is a move towards consistency right across denominations with um training and with um the way we deal with these sorts of things. So, so that's a good move. Um, and so most churches these days would have similar types of um, safety agreements in place. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you said something a minute ago that I found rather chilling, and that is that uh, we've caught some of the bad pedophiles, but we haven't caught the clever ones, and they are still out there. So how can, you know, as, as, a, as a parent, um, as, you know, 
church, you know, pastors, administrators, etc. What, what, what? Okay, let's come back to parents. What is the most effective thing that a parent can do to protect their children? I would say the most important thing is to educate them. Um, talk to them about. Um, unfortunately, I start education earlier in life than before in the sixties, seventies, eighties. We need to make sure that the kids know what it means about um, safe touch and that it's okay to talk to people about this and, um, yeah, how to protect themselves, um, having that discussion around body parts and um, what is and what is not acceptable. Um, that's the first thing. And I think as far as the church goes, we need to make sure that we do our background checks really well, that we make sure that the protocols of a working with children check and, um, and things like that are in place and make sure that the church... Um, those that are involved in children's ministries and working with children have done the training and know what to look for. Um, encourage children and adults to trust their gut feeling. If something doesn't feel right, it's often a very good reason. And so, so trust their gut feeling on this and, um, yeah, keep their eyes open. Now, I've heard of some churches that require a working with uh, children's check uh, as a prerequisite for membership. Would you support something like that? Yes, definitely. Um, I think that anybody that wants to serve in a church should have, no matter what the role, should have a working with children check. Um, so that's a state-based thing, and it's definitely a requirement for face-to-face contact with children, but I believe that all um, those that work in a church should have that check as a basic um Left lying in the sand, and then on top of that, there needs to be um, education and training um, as part of their role. Sure, sure. Darren, unfortunately, we've run out of time, but thank you so much for joining us um, on Faith FM this morning. Thank you. Great to talk to you. We're going to move on at this particular time. This is Melissa Otto. Melissa Otto, I should say, with "Good Night, My Sunny."
You were listening to Melissa Otto. Good night, my sonny, here on Faith FM. And while that song was playing, somebody ended up on my phone. Hello? Who's called me? Hello, Lyle. Oh, it's Mon. What are you doing on the phone, Mon? Why aren't you here in the seat beside me? Where are you? What is happening? Uh, I am in the middle of nowhere. And just a little plug, how good is the TuneIn app? This is the first time I've used it in like a really remote area. And it just works perfect. Oh, really? That's fantastic. Okay, so yeah, when you talk about the middle so of nowhere, I heard, that, I heard that nowhere is a place, right? Yeah, <laughs> I am in Gundagai. Oh, okay. So, so all those who are living in Gundagai and listening to Faith FM this morning via either faithfm.com.au or the TuneIn app, um, just some information from Monica. She is just letting you know that you live in the, the Gundagai the is nowhere. It's just nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, uh, I started driving last night from Melbourne about 5.30 in the evening and I made it as far as Gundagai before I was too too tired to keep driving. So <clears throat> I spent the night sleeping in the Hungry Jack's uh, car park <laughs> and um, I've got about another five and a half hours to go before I get home. Okay, fair enough. I, I, I was estimating that you were going to, to uh, be getting in at about three o'clock this morning, but I'm so glad that you decided to sleep overnight rather than to just drive on and go to sleep at the wheel. Much, much safer idea. And uh, It so- wasn't as comfortable though. I have to tell you, like, because I'm driving a camper van, right? Yeah. And I filled the back with all my belongings, which I'm, you know, moving into state. And so I thought I'd be really clever and I have some blankets. And I put them in the footwell and then I slept with like my feet tucked under the pedals and my head where the passenger's feet usually go. I've got to tell you, Lyle, not very comfortable. No, I can't imagine that would be. It's like <laughs> you're in a camper van. Doesn't that, you know, isn't the definition of a camper van something that has a bed? <laughs> I know, but it's, it's got all my boxes and I've got a couple of lawn chairs back there. <laughs> There's no space. I would have had to remove a bunch of stuff and leave it sitting on the ground outside my camper van overnight, which I didn't really want to do. So, I mean, it is like a, it's a Mercedes Sprinter camper van, so uh-huh. there is a bit more room, but it turns out I'm maybe a little bit bigger than I thought I was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. my. So, a night spent sleeping in the footwell. Yeah, here in Gundagai, and I'm, I'm so excited because I just discovered there is a public shower here, so I'm r- ripping my boxes apart, excitedly looking for a towel. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you can't find one, um, yeah. just grab a big fistful of paper towels before you go in, or alternatively, not a bad idea. Or alternatively, just just uh, if you've got a number of layers of clothes, just use your top layer as a as a towel, and then run the heater in the car until the day warms up. Lyle, you might have just saved me. That's a great idea. <laughs> See, I've, I've, <laughs> but hey, hey, I've Lyle. done this before. Yes, 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 yes. I have some really good news for you. I wanted to call you up and tell you about this. Okay. 
And now I know you're always accusing me of being like a bit of a greenie and a bit of hippie. You are you such a greenie. <laughs> Every time you come on with your good news <laughs> stories, like, oh, recycling here. Oh, recycling there. Oh, an- another recycling story. You're going to... But you're going to, you and I, you and I in particular, are going to love this one, okay? Okay, so this is a greenie story so, I'm going to love because I'm, you know. I'm, I'm, you're going to like this. All right, so all right. you and I, uh-huh. personally, part of our personalities is that we particularly love honey. We're like kind of like honey connoisseurs. Oh, I yeah, absolutely. Say, right? yeah, I come from Tasmania. Honey. Tasmania has the best honey. For those who haven't been to Tasmania, got to go to Tassie and try Leatherwood honey. Look, that's debatable. In my opinion, the best honey is acacia honey, which so far I have only found from Europe. So, you know, and Lyle and I often have discussions about honey because, you know, like I said, we are a bit gourmet when it comes to our honey. Yes, and we we talked about honey on the radio yesterday. Did you hear it? No, I didn't. I was on a plane yesterday when the radio was on. I read three verses from the book of Proverbs about honey. The first one says, eat honey, it's good for you. The second one says, don't eat too much or you'll vomit. And the second, and the third one says, if you eat a lot, you're going to be in trouble. But anyway, okay. So back to um, <laughs> yeah. So okay. So you know how the, the the bee count is dwindling. There's been a lot of concern about the fact that the bee the world bee population is dying out. Yep, yep. And you know, some people think this is some sort of like you know uh, like a myth or or like a, a con, you know a bit of a, a conspiracy theory and and whatever. But the fact is, we've sort of been approaching it in uh in I guess in ways of fixing it and are not too uh, effective way we've been thinking like you know because the, the problem with the bees dying out is they pollinate all yeah. the crops yeah we get no vegetables if we don't have bees yeah so the bees die out we're going to be like in a serious sticky situation they've been looking at artificial ways of pollination however the EU has just banned the top three chemicals that kill bees so no more insecticides and pesticides going on any crop in any country in the EU like it's just I'm so happy about this okay no more pesticides or insecticides or no more of the top three the top three the top three not just the top three insecticides but the top three ingredients so any insecticide or pesticide that contains one of these top three ingredients yeah, which is, you know, which in my, because if you think about it, we as people, we get pretty freaked out when we think about the insecticides that are on our broccoli. But can you imagine, you know, that, that is doing us harm. <clears throat> That's doing us harm. But can you imagine how much more harm it's doing to a tiny insect? So I'm really happy because I love honey. And I want honey to be around for the rest of my life. Yeah, well, I, I don't know. I don't just, I don't just love honey. But I love vegetables as well, and of course, if we don't have exactly. bees to pollinate, then uh, we don't have you know. There's like there's a, there's a few things out there that pollinate via wind, like corn. Mm-hmm. So we could live off corn for the rest of our lives. You know, corn, 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 just <laughs> corn, more corn. Just. I feel like we already do to some extent. Corn's in everything, you know. Yep, we could just grow rows and rows and rows and rows of corn, and nothing else. We could yeah, put little, we could put little tags on the end of it and, and call it different things just to trick ourselves, but um, <laughs> it'd be just corn, corn, corn. We just need some artificial flavouring. We'd never know the difference. Who needs bees? Who needs bees? Okay, so I do like <laughs> your I, I do like your greenie story this morning. I told you you would. I told you you would. But I, you know what, Lyle? Do you know? Mm-hmm. Do you know? It's kind of weird being on the radio and not knowing how much time I have left before the song starts. <laughs> you got three minutes and nineteen seconds. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. Well, <coughs> I um. Oh, oh but I, hey, 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 hey! But hey, before you get onto that, two things. First yes. of all, what are you thankful yes. for? Oh, um, this morning I am most certainly thankful for the shower. I haven't even had it yet, but I tell you what, I am smelly and sticky and disgusting and oily and greasy. 
I haven't even had that thing, but I'm so, so happy about it. And it's free. That's Free awesome. shower. There you I go. Know, so there's, so if you go to nowhere, which is otherwise known as Gundagai, <coughs> and you stop in, near, <laughs> at, the road, at the road stop near Macca's, you're going to find a free shower. So if you're in the area this morning, you're traveling through, you're listening to us on uh, the TuneIn app, then stop in there, say hello to Mon. She'll be in a Mercedes Sprinter van and, uh, um, and get yourself a free shower. And it's okay. not Macca's, it's HJ's, Hungry Jack, oh, Hungry HJ's. Jack's right next to the shell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, sorry. My bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, second thing, second thing. Hang on, did you know Did you know there's a, a children's book called The Road to Gundagai? I probably did. I know there's a song. Yeah, so there's a, I think there's a book and a song. And it's, you know, famous children's, um, you know, entertainment. And it's really funny because a lot of Aussie kids grow up knowing the name Gundagai, not realising it's a real place. Yes. And, and are you anywhere near the dog on the tucker box? Um, I think I've, I have yet to go past that one. Okay. But there's a, there's a, there's a dog on a tunnel box there as well. It's kind of made out of brass and he doesn't move very much. But um, <laughs> He doesn't yeah. heal when you whistle? <laughs> no, he doesn't do any of that. But he's a very faithful dog. He doesn't move off the tucker box. <clears throat> okay. All right. Okay, so, Lyle. Yes. Oh. Uh, yeah, okay. All right. All right. What do you need to say? Okay. I have to tell you that I've done a really, really, really bad thing. Yeah. Bad, bad okay, this is going to be good because it's going to go out on air. <laughs> and you're going to be so disappointed in me and your wife, my bestie, Shell, our producer, is also going to be extremely disappointed with me. We got Marta today. With what I've done. I, I know, but, you know, Shell Special welcome back to Marta with Mr. Over the last week. So um, Yeah, uh, hey, Marta, how's it going? Yeah, yeah she's, she's good. I, Marta's like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no. But you and Shell are going to be so disappointed when you find out what I went and did yesterday, you what I've it. gone and done. Okay, what did you do? Time to fess I'm up. not going to tell you. Oh, come on. You've got to fess up now. <laughs> you. You've got, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to fess up. All right, so. No, it's too, it's too big of a story. I only told you that to tantalize you for tomorrow. I'll, I'll confess on air tomorrow with the naughty thing I went and did yesterday. All right, I am going to officially out you on air tomorrow. Uh, before you go, before you go, before you go. All right. Yes, yes. Last 25 seconds. The Pishon, the Gaihon, the Tigris, and the Euphrates rivers all ran through me. Who am I? Do you know the answer? Four rivers. Uh-huh. Ah. Uh, uh, oh, I don't know. Is this the quiz? This is the quiz, and that's the third oh. clue, and you don't know the quiz. But anyway, Mon, we're going to have to keep going. Thank you so much for calling through. Uh, we're going to listen to Endless Praise with God Is. God was 
Back everybody, you're listening to Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 depending on where you are. We have Glenn Hughes joining us here in the studio. Glenn, welcome to Faith FM. It's uh, fantastic to be here, Lyle, and welcome to you. Ah, thank you. You know, I think that's the first time I've ever been, ever been welcomed on this show. That's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fantastic. Hey, uh, Glenn, just um, we want to get to know, you, you're a dentist, right? Is that? Uh, I am at the moment what you could perhaps say... Um, a little bit split between working out whether I'm a dentist who preaches or a preacher who does dentistry. Right. I, that sounds really good. I want to hear more about that as we go through. But um, 
Yeah, okay, so preaching, I like that dentistry, you know, it's kind of one of those things that I tend to avoid. <laughs> yeah, look, they're, they're probably, um, one spreads the good news and the other one is basically bad news, and depending on your perspective, you can work out which is which. Um, but yeah, look, I, I, I think that um, all healing ministries are, in essence, done best by people who have a deep and profound understanding that the people that they're working with are valuable, mm-hmm. and that their, um, yeah, that their lives are, are worthy of, of investing in. And mm, that, mm. Um, yeah, and I think that the preaching message is, is also in the realm of people's spiritual journeys um, about calling people to account and recognising where there's need and mm. doing your best to provide some kind of uh, solution to that need that, that in my mind, is, is best found in Jesus. Mm, absolutely. Hey, I've got a question. In, in dentistry then, do you ever get the opportunity to, um, to you know, either pray with your patients or share with them at all? Or is that sort of look, um, is that frowned upon these days? No, look, there's a wide range of opinions and we, we often bring these subjects up when a bunch of Christian dentists get together and in, you know, how overt we mm-hmm. are in using the contacts that we make to, to spread Jesus. Uh, my general rule is that I think that when people are paying money for your services, that it's an abuse of privilege to use that opportunity to um, give them a product that they're not looking for. Sure. And so I, I tend to But avoid, do you find, yeah, sorry, but do you yeah. find some people that are actually looking for that or is it just sort of... Uh, Look, there's no doubt about it, and my my rule is that um, as a Christian, I can't help but want to be infectiously enthusiastic for Jesus, Mm. and I tend to try and use language that doesn't come with loaded emotive prejudice, so I tend to try and um, steer away from Christian jargon, Mm -hmm. but I think most people in the world appreciate kindness and generosity and fairness and justice Absolutely. and um, yeah I'll try and just pick up on the news story of the day I've always got ABC TV on my roof on a big widescreen TV so people can have something to watch while we're working and every day there's something on the news you know Donald ruining the world or saving the world depending <laughs> on whether you're red or blue um, and yeah, there's always something going on yeah. and so I always try and you know drop just leading conversations every single one of my patients it's my it's my personal practice for the last 30 years to give at least 10 minutes of my time at no charge to every patient that walks in the door mm-hmm. just for human contact. Yep. And I think yep. doctors are the same and yep. all healthcare professionals where they can mm. will be the same. And and in that, you know, five or 10 minutes where you're just having mindless chit chat, you mm-hmm. look for opportunities to, to have a plug. Uh, last year, Lyle, I think I was able to preach somewhere between four 45 and 48 times I haven't done an exact count but Mm -hmm. pretty well every week I'm preaching on the weekend Mm -hmm. and I always try and use that as an opportunity to you know what are you doing on the weekend and hear about their story and inevitably they'll say what are you doing on the weekend and then I can say well I'm actually I'm going to this tiny little church way out the back of Kyogle and I'm going to see if I can challenge them on the idea that you know God is a just and fair judge Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and then if they go yeah well good luck with that um did you watch the rugby? I know that's the end of the conversation. Or sure, absolutely. If they, if they open up and go, wow, that's a really interesting idea. Tell me more. Then mm. you know we can we can take it from there. But yeah, I'd have to say that I um I I, aren't, uh, I wouldn't consider myself to be a brilliant witness, but mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a keen witnesser, and um, I, I think that you make friends with people, and um, from time to time, people will 
open up to the dentist like they would a doctor or another healthcare professional and yeah. talk about things other than their teeth. And I find that just to be a rewarding part of human interaction mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. not necessarily a, a strategic win for the gospel. I think that as human beings, um, engagement and interaction with each other is just core to what it means to live in community. Absolutely. And so with your preaching then, how, how is it that you get, as a dentist, get to preach, you know, 45, 50 times a year? That's um, that's pretty significant. Yeah, look, it is. There's, um, there's a lot of preachers out there that don't preach that often. Yeah, look, uh, we, we're lucky enough, my wife and I, to have made a strategic decision to, to go and live um, a little bit outside of the, the um, conglomerates of, of huge cities. So we, we live in a little hamlet called Alstonville, which is on the north coast yeah, of New South um, Wales. Disgustingly it's a, jealous. That's right. There. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty <laughs> Although hard, I can't yeah. complain. I can't complain. Yeah, yeah. Two years ago, I moved out of Sydney, which I've been trying to do for 20 years, yeah. and uh, I'm now in the Hunter Valley, and so, yeah, I really can't complain. Yeah, but so you could resonate. But yeah. the bottom line is that in our area, there are probably um, 10 or so churches around the area that are um, in shared ministry, so their pastors mm-hmm. have one or two or th- you know churches to look after, and they're always looking for somebody to be preaching in the church they're not at mm-hmm. um, on a particular mm-hmm. week, and I've made good friends with um, in the 20 years I've been up there with lots and lots and lots of little churches so um, yeah there's there's always a, an abundance of opportunity to do something on the weekend um, in preaching ministry mm. and, uh, so if you've been doing that for the last 20 years you would be um, you would almost be like a de facto pastor to some of these little congregations like uh, oh yeah, here comes Glenn again yeah look there are one or two churches that kindly call me their adopted pastor <laughs> and, uh, and yeah we really love that and it's, it's yeah. a great privilege to um, yeah to have the opportunity just again to just go and share and talk with people and and watch them and yeah there's many of the churches in the area because I've been a fairly regular attender there over 20 years and the pastors are rotated every three or four years um, that we have been able to develop some fairly deep and mm-hmm. long lasting friendships with mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. and uh, yeah I find it a real buzz just to be able to get out there and if it's only you know four or five people out at Kyogle Church or whether it's 300 at Kingscliff um, yeah it's just a great privilege to be able to go and have a chat to them and mm. catch up with them. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Now, take us back, Glenn. Whereabouts uh, do you originally come from? Uh, I was born in a little town called Adelaide, which is in South Australia. Uh, yep, and, I think uh, most of us have heard of that. Yeah, and my mum and dad uh, were both teachers. They worked for the Seventh-day Adventist church school system. Okay. Uh, so we uh, moved within the first year of my life to a little town called Busselton, south in <laughs> Western Australia. I know where that is. I've been there. Yeah, and that's a beautiful little country. And I was there for three years, and we came back to Adelaide for two years, and then I went over to Tonga for a couple of years while my father oh. was looking after Beulah College uh-huh. um, in Tonga. Uh, and then we came How old were you when you were in Tonga? Uh, about seven and eight. Mm-hmm. And then we came back to um, Brisbane. Mm-hmm. We were there for, for a fair part of my um, schooling. And then for the last two years of my schooling, we moved to Sydney where I finished my um, HSC and then went to Sydney University to study dentistry. Yep. Mm. Now, as a seven and eight-year-old in Tonga, what was Tonga like back then? Uh, Tonga was very, very primitive back then. There was no internet. There was no effective telephone system. There were... So um, if you wanted to communicate to Australia, was that by letter? Yeah, letter, telegram. um, Yeah, you could get things done kind of quickly to talk to Australia, but nothing ever came back quickly. And I can remember my father 
suffering great distress in having to wait 10, 12, 13 weeks for answers and responses to urgent questions. I was lucky I coped with Tonga by sitting up a huge big mango tree in our backyard and learning to eat green mangoes, skin, white flesh and seed completely. (laughs) and uh you you managed to survive that somehow to survive yeah oh my this sounds like a great adventure for a um for a kid to be able to spend a little bit of time in a country like that yeah it was great the um the the tongan people like all polynesians they really understand community they they really know about fellowship and um and love um and kindness and generosity and sharing um and good food and um yeah look i think it was it was a really very very precious memory to me to Mm. been able to Mm. um spend a lot of time with a lot of really lovely people Mm. um in tonga and um it was kind of so influential on me that as soon as I graduated, my very first job as a dentist was to accept a position in a little country called Bangladesh, which okay. is right over the other side of the world. Yep. And, um, yeah, I got to be in, I'll use inverted commas because I don't think those who have been awesome missionaries would call me missionary, but I went and did my first few years of dentistry in Bangladesh, uh-huh. and um, that was a lot of fun as well. Yeah, so you, you were there for two years. Two years, yeah. Yep. And uh, living in Bangladesh, were you like living in uh, one of the, you know, because oh, my, my, my picture of in my mind's eye of Bangladesh is just sort of like massive cities and millions of people. Is that Yeah, and, and that's exactly the, actually what I was living in and it was like for me, although I, I'd never even heard of Bangladesh um, when I said I would go there and mm-hmm. I thought it was somewhere in Malaysia and I was quite horrified to find it was in India. But yeah, we went there and I was actually living in Dhaka, which is the capital, mm-hmm. and there's about the same number of people in Dhaka as there is in the whole of Australia. Yep. Um, and it was a huge city and strangely enough, the model of mission that we had over there uh, was that we were kind of a bit like a Robin Hood model in that we set up our clinic in the very richest part of town in the middle of all of the embassies and uh, I was treating um, the British High Commissioner, the American Ambassador, um, the Australian High Commissioner and we were charging them maybe a third of of Australian dental prices Mm -hmm. which for a Bangladeshi local was just right out of their price range. Then then we would use the income we generated from the affluent of Bangladesh to um, go out into the villages and do free work Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so we were pretty well a self-supporting model um, in Bangladesh. But it was quite a surprise for me to accept a job in the third world thinking that I would go over there and be doing basic dentistry Mm -hmm. and find myself doing some pretty extensive um, surgical and prosthetic and restorative dentistry on on people who had a lot of money. I I was there during the very first Gulf War when George Bush invaded Iraq Mm -hmm. and um, Muslims, as a general rule, didn't take to kindly to an American superpower going into Islamic territory. Yeah, there was a yeah. lot of hostility in the country this is at the very, time. very, very strong Islamic yeah. country. And um, in the week that the Gulf War was at its peak, I treated somebody from the American um, embassy and I treated somebody from the Kuwaiti embassy and I treated somebody from the Saudi embassy all in the same week wow. and can still remember being very careful to look under my dental chair for any bombs <laughs> <laughs> might have been left for the ambassador that was following 
following. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of wealth, a lot of affluence. I was quite surprised. It's this, It's supposedly at that time I was there between it and another country called Bhutan competing for the poorest country in the world um, status. Yeah. And yeah. yet I had patients who would fly to Harrods in London to do their clothes shopping and um, would have 40 people in their personal house staff and had three Mercedes and would import their pet dogs from America and Australia and um, the guy asked me oh what sort of camera have you got Glenn and I said oh it's just a camera has got this a Nikon which I was pretty chuffed about that I owned a Nikon mm -hmm. and he just looked at me and said Nikon why do you want to have such a lame camera like that I've got a Hasselblad and oh, I've never no. even heard of a Hasselblad but I've since <laughs> learned quite happy with a Nikon yeah, yeah no worries <laughs> he had a Hasselblad like medium format professional camera in Bangladesh and you know I was running around thinking that my Nikon was pretty flash so it was quite an eye opener to see such abject poverty yeah. hard up against such affluence and I asked this guy who owned the camera and went to Harrods to do his shopping and owned all these expensive breeded dogs how can you live in such absolute um, affluence when mm -hmm. right outside your wall there's a slum with people there that are so poor that their average income was less than a US dollar a, a, a day mm -hmm. and he just said I'll ask you a question Glenn what's the difference between a concrete wall and the Pacific Ocean and um, never forgotten that that yeah the concrete wall was yeah his his basic premise was that why is a concrete wall any different a barrier than the Pacific Ocean why right. is it that you in the West yep. can live in such affluence right. and think that because you can't see yeah, the slum yeah. on the other side of the the barrier it doesn't exist and um, yeah, that's yeah. a very powerful very powerful and I talked to him and he was actually a really kind and generous um, guy and his mm. his father had multiple businesses and companies in Bangladesh and employed many 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 people and I guess that was my first introduction to the idea of trickle-down economics that if you can be rich enough and affluent enough you have to spend your money by sharing it with poor people mm, although mm. I don't think the trade unions of Bangladesh would have approved at the huge difference between salaries of, of those yeah. who are in positions of power um, and those at the end and um, yeah Lyle probably that started me I think on on the journey that I've been on ever since then and that is a trying to understand the the injustice both in the social realm and the political realm but also to really question the justice of God and uh, and and to really try and work out how it is that um, there seems to be so much variance in in the way in which people are exposed to um, blessings or the lack thereof mm, yeah yeah unfortunately we're running out of time I just looked at the clock there and go oh, my goodness that time went fast um, so we're down to our last little bit but um, would love to just sit here and chat all day, Glenn. Yeah, no worries, Lyle. Well, thank you so much. Faith FM. Yeah, thanks, yeah, thanks so much for sharing with us. And uh, we're going to move on and have a music break now, and we'll be back after that with our Encounter with God Bible study segment.
how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou Blades I wander and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees. When I look down from lofty mountain grandeur and hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. And when I think that God, His Son not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on a cross, my burdens gladly bearing, He bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, to thee how great thou art how great thou art then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou How great thou art, how great
what God has already done isn't enough for you, nothing's going to be enough for you. Because it's meant to be real. And real life stories have baggage. We know that Peter's a loose cannon. It's all about context. And he chose different personalities to express that because his personality is infinite. If it's a love song written to us, when we're at our lowest points, we've got backup. Like a lot of the rational arguments for the existence of God, they tend to work better after you believe. Hi, this is Luke from oztabletalk.com.au. Please join myself and some of my closest friends as we explore our faith through conversation, Bible study, interviews, and more. You can find us online at oztabletalk.com.au. That's oz as in Australia, A-U-S, tabletalk.com.au. Looking forward to seeing you there. Bye. I'm so glad that's recorded because I wouldn't write that down. Yeah. (laughs) Someone called it a care package there. (laughs) Wow.
listening to Faith FM, positively different radio.